Hoffman loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Gerald with a turnaround shot deflected to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal! Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. Friday morning. Hi everyone, I'm back. Welcome to episode 37 of A Shot and a Goal, the podcast about hockey broadcasters. My name is Jake Baskin. Before I start to go negative in the introduction, let me acknowledge something very positive for some of us in the business, and by us I don't mean me. The ECHL will make its triumphant return this year, except unfortunately for the Atlanta Gladiators, with 13 teams beginning their season in December. You will hear from the broadcaster for one of the returning teams. Stay tuned until the end to find out which one it is, although the return to play had not been announced yet when we conducted the interview. But we, I should stop saying we, I'm the only person who has any say in how this podcast comes out. I have my longest interview to date here in episode 37. I've made it clear how I don't particularly care for editing these things, but in interviews like these and... Jack Moore way back in episode 16 is another one like this. They have some pretty long-winded answers, and really the less talking I do, the less I feel like editing. So thanks to today's guest for making my editing job easier. Andrew Mossbrooks is the voice of the Peoria Rivermen of the SPHL. We've, there I go again saying we've, this podcast has not had a guest currently working in the Southern Professional Hockey League, but two previous guests, Alan Furing and TJ Shalott, have worked in the league, including Fearing with the Rivermen. And I've always been fascinated by the league. It's not a league where players go there expecting to make the NHL someday, but it certainly is a following in its local markets. Not all of them are in the South, technically. Andrew is not from Peoria and is not currently in Peoria. He's from a town of about 9,000 people in northeastern Pennsylvania, and I'll admit to you he wasn't a huge sports fan until he was a teenager. But he got the opportunity while he was in college to call hockey, his favorite sport, and he got a chance to intern in both the AHL and the NHL with the Flyers. After a year in junior hockey, he made the jump to the pro ranks full-time and moved to Illinois. In the time since the interview was conducted in early September, it has been announced that the Rivermen are one of five SPHL teams that won't be playing this season. That's not unexpected, but it does suck. And the last question I asked does concern the uncertainty of the upcoming season. I thought about taking it out because it does get pretty pessimistic, but ultimately I left it in because I'm feeling the crunch and really the anxiety of not calling games, and I know every aspiring NHL announcer who listens to this podcast is too, so if you stick around, you will realize you're not alone. This is Andrew Mossbrooks from the Peoria Rivermen on episode 37 of A Shot and a Goal. Carvalho is then hit hard, there's an arm up. Carvalho is down, Hageman didn't like it, and then Hageman's gloves drop, Zykov drops his, here we go. Hageman running into Zykov, they just hug each other down to the ice in an aggressive way, I might add. And then Azelstein wants a piece of Benestrova. 
McPherson is in there. Hageman still looking for a dance partner. He didn't like the brief ending with Zykov. We'll see what comes of this. I don't know if they're going to give those guys fighting majors or not. The gloves came off. But Azelstein will go toe-to-toe with Escroba. Officials got away from him. Now the gloves are dropped. Escroba down hard. Azelstein gets a couple of hooks in on the Riverman veteran. Hi, and welcome to episode 37 of A Shot and a Goal. I keep forgetting exactly what episode it is, but I think this is right. My name is Jake Baskin, and my guest, we go to the SPHL for the first time. We've had a few ex-SPHL guys, but our first current SPHL guest from the Peoria Rivermen, another familiar team on these parts, Andrew Mossbrooks. How's it going? Hey, it's going good, Jake. Thanks for having me. Uh, very excited to, to be on here. I think I was telling you before we talked, uh, I've listened to the podcast a few times. There's some great guests on here and some NHL voices and some guys that I'm sure will be in the NHL at some point. So uh, happy happy to be among the guests, although I wouldn't put myself in the, uh, the highest of uh, regard like those guys. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to since March? Uh... Well, I mean, obviously the world stops right around mid-March. Um, you know, in my case, I was with the Peoria Rivermen. This was my first season with them and uh, ended up, uh, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, so uh, in a little town of nowhere called Sunbury, PA. So I was living about 12 hours away in Peoria, Illinois. But when everything broke down, um, it was obviously just a whirlwind, you know, day after day. And then eventually it led to, I think, I think it was St. Patrick's Day, actually, that I uh, I drove home to Pennsylvania. My boss uh, with the Riverman, Bart Rogers, told me, hey, you know, go home and, and we'll figure it out. Uh, you know, which at the time, I, I remember specifically, we were saying, hey, you know, give it a month or two and, you know, hopefully we'll be back. Um, but, you know, at the time of this recording, we're what, uh, close to six months? Um, and, you know, I've been here since. So, uh, thankfully, I've, I've remained employed with the Riverman. I, I really cannot be you know, happy enough uh, and fortunate enough uh, that they've kept me on payroll. And so um, I do everything from home. I, I run the social media, handle the PR stuff still, um, any media relations, although it's far and few between at this point, and really even the off season in general, you usually wouldn't have a lot. Um, but uh, that's what I've been doing. And then, you know, in, in my free time, which I, I have more free time than I'd like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the oldest of four siblings, so, you know, I am living back home, but uh, it's nice to be able to be around them. I have a girlfriend that, you know, I met in college around here, so um, it's been nice to, to get that time. And, and obviously, when you're, you're dealing with this kind of stuff, I think the best thing you can do and, uh, is, is to put things into perspective um, and just kind of look at the, the full picture because it's tough. Obviously, what, what I'm going through is what every broadcaster, for the most part, is going through, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get down and it's tough to look at the big picture and, and be thankful and be happy. Uh, but I've tried to do that so much just because, you know, like I said, I, I'm able to be back with my family again, which is really nice. This is time that I would not have expected to have. Um, I'm even trying to start playing ice hockey again, which I haven't done in a few years here, really since college ended. Um, and I'm finding out that I'm horrendously out of shape. Uh, but, you know, it, it's fun. And, and you do things like that, it kind of keeps your mind busy and you're not thinking so much about all the, the doom and gloom that, that's kind of surrounded our, our country and really the whole world. You, me, handshake emoji, out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I definitely am feeling it. I was just talking to my brother before you called, and 
Uh, he's 17. I mean, he's still playing hockey. And we uh, we actually got on the ice like a week ago, which was the first time I had skated in two and a half years. And uh, we just went to like a stick and puck thing. And I mean, it was it was horrible. Like I, I was so miserable. I mean, I, I was happy that I got back on, but I was so horribly bad. And like my back killed me the whole night. And we were talking about it. He goes to the gym every day and he's like, you know, you, you need to get back in the gym. So I, I just, before I took this call, I said, Hey, I've been thinking about what you said. Maybe I will start trying a little bit more. When did you decide you wanted to be in broadcasting and what made you want to? And this includes the moment you wanted to be a play-by-play announcer specifically. Um, you know, that's a, I'll, I'll give you the long answer since it's a podcast. You've got time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, the long answer, I guess would be for me, it, it started as a kid, but like, I still didn't really know. So when I was really young, uh, like eight, nine, 10, 11, um, I did not like sports. Like my, my family were all diehard Philadelphia sports fans. My dad was a huge Eagles fan. My, uh, my uh, grandfather was really big into um, – I mean, he loved the Eagles too, but I, I would say he was more like Phillies baseball uh, and the Sixers. Um, and, and nobody was really like big hockey fans, but they supported the Flyers. But anyhow, like, you know, my dad would sit me down and we'd watch the games, and I'd watch with him, but I wasn't that in tune with it. But my grandfather also really, really liked pro wrestling and WWE, WWF at the time. Um, and so that was something that I was really into, uh, when I was young and, um, and then I remember like, just, you know, for, for the heck of it, for, for giggles, you know, I would like be playing video games with people online when I was probably like 11 or 12 and, uh, just like commentating just to do it, you know, like, cause at the time WWE had Jim Ross and I thought Jim Ross was like a hilarious commentator. I mean, I thought he was good like some of the things he would say, you know, slobber knocker and just, you know, weird phrases. And I think I would try to mimic that online. And, you know, at first, so that's all it was. It, it was, it was a parody. Um, and, you know, then I play with, with my friends on these, on Xbox games and, you know, they'd be, Hey, you're, you're pretty good at it. Like you, you should do this. So I was doing it um, more frequently. Like I was just practicing broadcasting on Xbox live. Uh, and I did this for years, but the thing is, I never really thought of it as a career because when I was in high school, like here in Sunbury, um, the high school that we go to, uh, there really isn't anything for broadcasting. There's a lot of business uh, courses, and I took all the business courses, all the business electives that we could, advanced accounting, uh, personal finance, you name it, um, with the hopes that I would go to college and pursue a degree in business. Um because my uncle is also very successful in business, and I thought that maybe I could replicate that. And then it came time to graduate high school, and um, I kind of just really last minute during my senior year, I was like, you know what? I don't think this looks fun, and I need to have fun because if I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be a good employee to anybody. So I actually decided to take a year off um, after I graduated high school. I decided not to go to college to be – I think disappointment of my family at the time because they were worried that I would never go back uh, and pursue a degree in anything. And, uh, and, and I should mention as I'm kind of jumping around here that in the midst of being in high school uh, or actually middle school rather was when my gears sort of shifted. 
Um, and I did become a sports fan and I started watching hockey and watching the flyers. And then by the time high school started, I started playing ice hockey. Um, and I would be out there as much as I could play for as many different, you know, youth teams, even men's league teams. Once I turned 16, I was allowed to sign up locally. Um, on top of watching every Flyers game. And I mean every Flyers game. Like, I would not miss them. Um, and so then, you know, opening night that year, uh, as we as we get back to where I was graduating high school, I take that year off. Opening night to the Flyers, I think that year they played the Toronto Maple Leafs. They lost 3-1. to one. Uh, But I remember it so vividly because I remember watching Jim Jackson on TV like I would any other time, like I had any other time for X amount of years. And it was just something clicked to me where I was like, wait a minute. Like, so this guy's talking about hockey. He's calling the game. He's getting paid. I'd imagine he's making pretty good money. Uh, and he's, and, and that's his job, right? Like, okay, well, I've kind of been like practicing commentating uh, on video games for the longest time just for fun, but my friends tell me I'm good, and I love the game of hockey, so I think I'm knowledgeable about that. I think I want to do broadcasting. And from that moment on, it really, uh, from that moment until I finally started school following fall, which was at Millersville University, I really had, like for the first time ever, um, I think very, um, I, I was very passionate about what I wanted to pursue in life, I never had that feeling before when I was looking at those business classes in high school. I thought it was just a, a simple track to kind of follow. But in this moment, I knew I wanted to do broadcasting. Um, I knew right away at that point too that I wanted to do hockey broadcasting. And I was very fortunate that when I went to Millersville, that opportunity was offered to me quick. And, you know, fast forward, what, five, six years later, and here we are. So let's touch on college. I don't know a lot about the Pennsylvania State Schools. How did your college experience prepare you for the professional broadcasting world? And what did you do there? And that includes internships. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the biggest thing that, that it did in preparing me was just giving me that experience, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it's hard because, it, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. So, and I can, I'll, I'll be completely honest, too. You know, there's times where I've sat there and thought now upon reflecting on my, on my education, like, ah, I wish I would have, uh, you know, went to Syracuse University um, or, you know, uh, ASU or, you know, I, I wish I would have went to a school that, that maybe was was known to have more of, uh, you know, I mean, you look at Syracuse, for example. I mean, they, they pump out excellent broadcasters every single year. Um, and a lot of those guys go on to, to really high levels, you know, but at the same time, like that's hindsight and you could also sit there and say, and this is, I, I know a lot of friends that went to Syracuse and again, they're, they're great broadcasters. The fortunate thing for me is though, I, I really do wonder if going into my freshman year at Millersville, let's just say it would have been my freshman year at Syracuse. Would I have been given the same opportunities? I don't know that I would have. And I honestly don't think that I would have. When I went to Millersville, um, it was fortunate timing because a guy by the name of Jordan Coons had just recently left that school, and he's now the voice of the uh, Greenville Swamp Rabbits in the ECHL. Um, but he was the previous broadcaster for the hockey team, and it's not like it was an NCAA team. It's ACHA D2 club hockey. 
And I actually tried out for the team because I was still playing hockey. And I, I remember being so uh, disappointed that I didn't make the team out of their training camp. And uh, But then, you know, I was fortunate because I was only thinking about uh, playing for the team. Even though I wanted to do broadcasting, it's just I couldn't make my mind up because I couldn't give up the idea that I still wanted to play hockey at the, at the highest level I could. But then a few days after the training camp ended, one of my friends who did make the team messaged me and said, hey, you know, they're, they're looking for a commentator. I know you're like in school for broadcasting, so do you want to do that? And I said, sure. And just like that, I was given the reins to be the play-by-play guy my you know very first game of my freshman year and i got to be you know mainly the you know i split the play-by-play duties a little bit um with a buddy of mine who's who's in the nahl um but uh you know to be honest they, they kind of gave me the i think the majority of the reps which i was very fortunate and thankful to have um and and that really owned my experience um, but you talk about the opportunities and you say you brought up internships and this is the funny thing. It's at times I think like I was fortunate that I got the reps in terms of other experience with the, with the Millersville hockey team. I did like, I guess you could call it the PR. I mean, I, I would do game recaps, game previews. I would do my own like stat packs, but there was no media. There were no um, really a club hockey too, at least in our, in our conference uh, virtually no teams ever traveled, so you weren't even really communicating um, with the other broadcasters. In fact, I think we were one, if not we were one of, if not the only team uh, in our conference. In fact, actually, I know, I know for a fact, we were the only team in our conference that um, in the CSCHC uh, that traveled a broadcaster. And one of the challenges there was just finding internet. I can't tell you how many times I'd go on a three, four hour bus ride only to find out I can't call the game. Um, but, uh, you know, I got to a point where junior year, senior year, I knew I wanted to get an internship. Before then, I had already tried to establish some roots. Like, I remember freshman year, one of our classes was, um, they gave, like, it, it was uh, it was like a fundamentals of speech class, like a Tom 100 level course. Um, and they, I think one of the, the projects was, hey, you know, in, interview somebody, a person of interest. And, uh, you know, write about it. And I think a lot of people, like many would with a 100-level course, you find the easy way out. You have a friend, you have a family member, somebody you can talk to. Um, and I remember thinking, like, oh, you know what? The Reading Royals are near Millersville. Like, let me reach out and see if their broadcaster will talk to me. And at the time, that was Mark Thompson, and he did. And then I that turned into talking to Mark a few times. And that turned into talking to Mark about how big of a Flyers fan I was. Which led to, hey, you should reach out to the Flyers. Here's a PR contact. And then sophomore year, I got to shadow Jim Jackson with the Flyers, who was like my idol for broadcasting. Um, And then I continued to keep those connections and those networks. And then my senior year, I knew it was time to take that next step and try and get an internship. And I was very fortunate there that I had a contact. And I was eventually, uh, I was told about an internship with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms to be their radio broadcast intern. And I was able to get that. And I had just a ton of experiences with the Phantoms. Um, and, and that year ended up being a pretty cool year for Lehigh Valley because they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, so, you know, four wins away from going to the Calder Cup. They also had the Outdoor Classic that year with the Hershey Bears. So um, it was uh, it, it was a really eventful year, but just that experience, too. And you take that, and, it, and it's just a continuous segue because – 
with that internship came all the opportunities to meet all the broadcasters that were coming in in the away booth. Um, and I got to do demos there and, and, you know, ultimately, um, you know, a long and winding path, which I think a lot of guys, uh, you know, the men and women in this industry, I, I think it's a pretty similar one for most, uh, you know, you won't find a straight, straight and narrow path, uh, too often, but you know, for me, yeah, I mean, it was, I was very fortunate with Millersville because by the time it's kind of wrap up this, this winding answer, uh, by the time I got that internship my senior year, you know, I had already called probably, you know, 70 hockey games. And then that internship on top of balancing, because I still was doing the Millersville hockey, although I did take a, a bit of a backseat because of my responsibilities with the Phantoms. But I felt like by the time I graduated college, I had called over 100 games. I had pro hockey. I had AHL hockey on my demo. I actually did a couple of uh, NHL demos, too, for the Flyers that year. So, um, you know, that opportunity that I had at Millersville with a small school and, you know, you're not necessarily competing with as many other kids, I think really gave me the opportunity to just kind of hone my skills. So that way, by the time I did graduate, when I did in 2018, I felt prepared to, to take that next step and, and get a full-time job doing this. Out of college, you worked in the NAHL with the WBS Knights. And I think I might have called a game this year with one of the players. What did you learn from working in junior hockey? Well, it was an interesting um, it was an interesting role because that year uh, I, I ended up balancing three jobs. It was initially two, but it became three because um, you know I was job hunting like anybody else was all summer long. Unfortunately, I was getting a lot of no's. I didn't have all the experience that I thought I needed, um, which is an which is another aspect of this because, like I told you, I felt prepared. But I felt prepared in the broadcasting sense. Um, and I don't think I really gave a, a lot of acknowledgement to just how much you need to know um, with like graphic design and social media, um, video editing and video production. And so we're getting down to the very end of the summer. And uh, I mentioned this, this, uh, this networking opportunity that I had with the Phantoms and, and the Flyers and the Royals and it all kind of comes together. Because right at the end of the uh, summer, the Flyers are just a couple weeks away from preseason. And uh, I had an opportunity there where I actually was able to work part-time. Um, and really, I was essentially, I was the press box steward. So I was doing like the PA announcing for like the beat writers and the press box. But I also had the opportunity to do some hosting work for the Flyers radio 24-7. Now, right around that exact, like it was the same week, within a couple days, a friend of mine was leaving the Wilkes-Barre Stratton Knights told me about the opportunity. The only tough part was I had already like literally days earlier accepted this role with the Flyers, but I knew it was a part-time role. So I talked with the Knights. I was very fortunate that they sort of understood because, you know, from, from my point of view, I wasn't going to the Flyers to do play-by-play, but the amount of contacts that you can meet in an NHL press box every night is just, you can't put a value on it. So I did part-time there, and the Knights only wanted a broadcaster for home games, but they did still want you to do all those other tasks. So when it came to that job, the things I learned, and, and fortunately, you know, they were able to kind of work with me, as I mentioned, but not just in schedule. They worked with me when it came to, um, to the skills that I needed serious work on, um, like graphic design. Uh, and, and doing video stuff. And, um, you know, so when it came to video production, like I was able to do that. 
when it came to graphic design, they had somebody there who was very helpful with me. And I assisted in the graphics, but like she would show me like, hey, you know, this is this is what you want to do in Photoshop. This is what you want to look for. This is how you can organize the layers. This is what you want to do in Adobe Illustrator and, and kind of go about it the right way. Um, and that really provided just a great foundation because she let me ask her 100 questions that year. Um, I probably did literally ask her 100 questions over the course of that season, maybe more. Um, but I had the opportunity to gain those skills and you learn a little bit more about the PR stuff um, because when you're with Millersville Hockey, when you're in college, like usually what you're doing is you're writing the game preview and the game recap. Well, with Wilkes-Barre, you know, you also have to remember there's 60 games in the NAHL. There's not just, you know, I think we would play around 30 games a season in college. So even though I wasn't traveling with the team, I still had to pay attention to the hockey TV feed for the away games so I could write the recaps for that. I would still be writing previews for the nights. Um, there would be tender signings that I would find out about, and it's one of those things. Hey, you get an email at 11 a.m., can you get something out by 2.30 today or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock about this guy? We need a, a graphic. We need a graphic that works in terms of dimensions for Twitter, for Facebook, for Instagram, uh, and we need this press release, and we need quotes from this player, and we need a quote from the coaching staff. Um, and so you learn to work a little bit more on um, – on sort of, uh, you know, soft headlines, granted, uh, you know, it wasn't out at three sharp in the NAHL, or at least with the Knights, you know, it wasn't at the end of the world, but you, you wanted it to be out at three sharp. And that's when, you know, your boss says that, uh, in my case, it was Tom Kowal, who was uh, the boss and the general manager and head coach of the team. Uh, so you learned to, you learn to balance all that stuff. Um, and like I said, so I, I was balancing those two jobs. And then later in the year uh, or in January, I, you know, second half of the season, I accidentally ran into, you know, a TV gig with the Philadelphia Wings and the NLL. And it's like now I'm doing three jobs. And, you know, there are some weeks where I've got two or three uh, nights games and a Wings game. And I've got these Flyers games that I'm doing game previews and recaps for. Um, and so it was, it was a bunch of different things, but again, fortunate, that's going to be a word that I, I probably already have, and I'm going to continue to throw around in this, in this podcast, um, because everybody understood and like the Knights, you know, they could have just said, Hey, you know what, we're going to actually look for a guy and, and we're just going to make this a full-time role. We want somebody hundred percent devoted to us and no other distractions. And I was just so thankful that. I had people that were understanding and knew that these opportunities were big for me, but they also knew that when I, whenever I was there and even at home, like I never, I never went in 50%. I, went, I never went in 90% with my work. You know, I always tried to make sure I gave it over a hundred percent, whether I was calling a game, writing a release, I was never trying to quick scribble through things. Um, I tried to give all three of those jobs my absolute uh, most attention possible. And there were definitely times where it stretched me a little bit. And you know, I'm certainly thankful now that I, that I have just one team to devote to, but uh, you know, I don't even know if I would have gotten the opportunity to be with this one team, which is the Riverman had it not been for, you know, all the opportunities and the mistakes I was allowed to make and the chances I was given to learn with, you know, the Knights and obviously the Flyers and Wings too. How did you get the job with the Riverman? Well, um, you know, that's a good one, too, uh, because 
it's it's great. You know, networking is so big in this industry. Everybody talks about it. Um, and you know, it's better to look at networking instead as just relationships, um, building and keeping relationships, and they turn into friendships a lot. Um, and in the case of this, like it's it was again, you know, a little bit of luck. So last summer, um, I had just got done. You know, probably, I mean, honestly, it was like a month-long process um, where I was doing several different interviews with an AHL team. So I was very excited because at the time, I'm 24 years old, and obviously, you know, by the time you get to the third interview, you know, you can put one and one together and think, okay, you know, there's, they're, they're seriously considering me. At least I think they are, right? Um, and, uh, you know, I had... I had just wrapped that up, and unfortunately, you know, I wasn't selected for the position. So it was kind of a disheartening thing. I, I actually like just visited too. Um, I just went up to that to, to the city where the team was, and um, you know, really, I think I was sort of mentally sold on, oh, like this is this is going to happen, and it didn't, um, which was upsetting. And so, especially after you go through that that kind of job search, it, it, you feel a little drained because you're so invested in that one after so many weeks. And at this point, it's in you know mid August. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I happen to see on my Facebook feed uh, that Brad Kupiak shares an article from the Peoria Journal Star that he's moving on uh, from the Rivermen, and he had been with the team for four years. And uh, I was friends with Brad on Facebook probably over a year, and I probably had not talked to him or commented on the Facebook thing or anything in over a year. When I graduated college in 2018, I was told by, by a buddy of mine in the industry to, you know, hey, send, send your demo to everybody, you know, at all levels. Let people give you, you know, a perspective on what they think, and you never know. And Brad was one of those people. So in probably May of 2018, I'm out of college, and Brad's one of the SPHL voices that I send my demo to. Um, he got back to me. Gave me some insight. I, I thanked him, you know, really appreciate it. Hope to send you something down the road. And, uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know if we had another contact point after that, but we added each other on Facebook. And here we are over a year later, fast forward from May 2018 to August of 2019. And Brad's moving on. And I messaged Brad. Um, and this had literally happened uh, when Brad posted this. It was probably a, a day or two after I found out that I was not getting uh, the job that I was, that I was trying to get. And, uh, you know, so I, I messaged him on Facebook, said, why not? You know, Hey, do is there already somebody that's filled in or can you tell me anything here? Um, and he actually sent me back. He's like, Hey, I think, I think the Rivermen are going to actually hire local. Um, just because it's a little late in the off season. And, you know, I don't know if they want to do a full blown uh, job search. So, of course, I'm a little let down, and I'm like, oh, you know, I understand, you know, uh, but, you know, hey, thanks anyway. And uh, then the next day, you know, so that night ends, the next day I think, ah, you know, and I and I messaged him again. I said, hey, sorry to bother. Do you think it would hurt for me to send my stuff, though? I mean, I, I don't want to do it if I'm going to annoy your boss, but, I mean, you know, and, and he said, yeah, sure, why not? You could try. And I'm glad I did. Because I ended up, you know, having the opportunity to to talk with uh, Bart Rogers, I mentioned earlier, who who's the uh, the COO and co-owner for the Rivermen, and uh, and that's funny too because um, and, and I don't think this will ever work again. But so Bart was supposed to like he emailed me said, hey, I want to schedule a time to talk with you. Uh, 
interview, are you available this day at one o'clock or whatever? And I said, yes, I waiting. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately things came up. He was busy. He wasn't able to take, uh, a call that day. So he's like, Hey, you know, can I do it the next day? And keep in mind, we're, you know, now we're progressing into like mid late August. I know they don't have a lot of time. And when you're one of those people that's getting interviewed, you want to be a yes man. You don't want to sit there and, and say, ah, you know, that day doesn't work for me. So I knew, uh, obviously that first day didn't work for him. The second day, though, unfortunately, I was working a part-time job in the summer to kind of compensate for all the traveling I did throughout the season between Wilkes-Barre and Philadelphia and back. Um, and I worked at a gas station. It was a job I had in college. I kept first year out of college, been working there for a couple of years. And uh, I don't know where, like, I don't know when I'm going to get my break. So I actually uh, emailed him and I, I said, hey, uh, yes, I can definitely talk this day. Um, I am working. Is there any way I can just call you when I get my break? Uh, and he was like, sure. So I, I went on my lunch break and I called him to do my interview. Um, which like I said, I, I don't think I'll ever try and pull that again. Cause I, I don't know. I just can't imagine that that flying well with, with an ECHL team or higher. Um, but you know, and then we interview and of course in my head, I'm thinking like, Oh, you know, I only had a 30 minute break. I feel rushed. I feel like I didn't do good. And I really mean that. Like I, when I hung up that phone and we got off the, the phone call from our interview, I remember thinking to myself, I, I probably even texted my girlfriend saying, well, that's definitely not going to happen. Like I thought I bombed. I don't know why I thought I did. I just, I just didn't feel like I was interesting enough. Um, and then a few days later I got a call. It was like a Saturday night and I got the offer. And, uh, and I was shocked and, you know, it was just a whirlwind of a process from there, you know, from the time I, I got off the phone that Saturday, I think it was maybe nine or 10 days later, I was backed up in a car and, uh, my, uh, my mom and my Graham and my girlfriend and, and, uh, my younger brother and younger sister. And, uh, we were, we were all packed in two cars combined and getting ready for that 12 hour drive to start a new chapter in Peoria, Illinois. Was it hard getting used to living that far away from home? For sure. Um, I mean, I and I can recount things. I have horrible memory, by the way, which probably isn't good for a broadcaster. I'm just able to remember like I can remember the stats and the numbers really good. There's a lot of things, though, like some will have happened a few months ago that may be significant to somebody else that I just for whatever reason, it's gone. Um, but that one, no, I mean, that that I remember, you know, vividly. Um, I think so. Here's the thing, Jake. It's hard I think what's harder about it is in this industry, you know, it's such a competitive business and all the men and women in this industry, there's, you could probably look at every one of them and say, they're all talented. They're all good. They all have good qualities that would make them qualified for the job you're going for. So you have to be on the ball, on the gun, ready to go. And, and that's just part of it, especially, you know, and I, and, I mean, don't take my word as gospel because you're talking to a 25-year-old two years out of college. But I would imagine some of the older people uh, would, would say, the same, uh, say the same thing, people that are in this industry, because it's hard. The, the, the part of moving hard is it's not like you can say, hey, you know, I'll be there in 30 days, which really isn't a lot of time either. But at least in that 30 days, I think maybe you can you know, mentally um, 
compartmentalize, uh, you know, everything that's going on and uh, the things that are going on at home and, you know, say your goodbyes, you know, but for me, like I said to, to the previous question, it was probably nine, 10 days later after I got off that phone call that I was in my car, my stuff was packed and I was going. Now, I lived on college uh, campus for four years, so Millersville is about two hours away from where I'm from. So, I mean, you know, packing a car to move, like, yeah, I've done that before, but it's different. Because when you do that for college, you know you're coming home a, a month and a half later for a few days for fall break, the following month for Thanksgiving, and then you're home for a month in the winter, and then you're home from mid-May to mid-August. This, you knew, is like, okay, you know, well, I... I should say, I mean, this is what I expected. Granted, COVID has changed this, and now I am back home in Pennsylvania, but uh, I wasn't planning on that. I was expected to, you know, be in Peoria and be there for, you know, one, two, three, five, you know, you never know how many years. And then after that, I would hope to, you know, move in this industry, and who knows where that would be. You know, that's the other crazy thing is, like, you move 12 hours away to Illinois, and maybe if you're lucky, you know, when, if, if you can move up in this industry, if you can grab another rung, you know, in my case, I, I'm in the SBHL now. So I would imagine that it's hopefully the ECHL or higher. Uh, if, if I am fortunate enough to, um, to take another step in this field, but that ECHL team could be in Idaho. It could be in Texas. It could be in Oklahoma. It could be even further away from my family in Pennsylvania. So now instead of 12 hours and 17 hours away, um, and that's the tough part. And again, I did this in 10 days. So for that being my first move, uh, you know, I have no shame in admitting I probably cried every day. I was so excited to go to Peoria. Don't get me wrong. And I loved my time there. I, I hope it does get to continue. And I hope we come out on, on the other side of this, uh, this pandemic. But in 10 days, you know, there were friends that I didn't have the time to see and, and say goodbye to in person. And you know, I mentioned I'm the oldest uh, of, of four siblings here. So you grow up with those people and, you know, you're you're going to miss them and you're going to miss birthdays. And, you know, even even your parents, who everybody has that love-hate relationship with, but you love them to death. They're the reason that, you know, you in, in a lot of cases, certainly in mine with my mom, um, you know, it's the reason why I was able to do so many of the things that I was able to do. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, my girlfriend who I mentioned, you know, I met in college and, you know, we've been together now at this point, three and a half years, but last summer, two and a half years. And, um, you're used to seeing her all the time. And it's like, I remember that day, I think coming up on, uh, it's like a year exact, um, since I moved in and I just remember, you know, we, and, and my boss was awesome because like he actually, and this, and this did help. When we moved down there, we moved down and got there. Uh, we got to Illinois on a Friday, and he actually paid for uh, my family to stay at a hotel for a couple days, so they didn't leave till Sunday. So that was really nice because when I got there, it wasn't like, okay, let's quick rush unpack and see you guys at Christmas. It, you know, I got some time to spend with them and uh, let them know that you know I was going to be okay here. But I'll tell you what, man, uh, that that Sunday morning. That was tough uh, because, you know, you close that apartment door and, and everybody's packed up in one car you came in two and you know, one's staying and one's going. And, and once you shut that door and you turn around and you're the only person in that apartment, I it, it definitely was hard. Um, 
but you need to do things like that. Like I said, it, it is difficult, but you need to take chances in life. I certainly don't regret it. Yeah, at the time, like I said, I was crying and, you know, it, it was very emotional for me. But my family, uh, you know, everybody knew, everybody, you know, in my life knew that that was the right step for me to take. Um, and, and you just get so many great experiences and being out on your own and being, you know, dropped in, in central Illinois where nobody knows you and you know nobody. Like, there, there's a bit of an adrenaline rush to that, honestly. So, uh, you know, it's a great experience, and I'm definitely glad that I got it. Yeah, my girlfriend and I live three hours away from each other, and that's fine when I'm up at school, but being online doesn't make it any easier, and whenever I get into the business, that's another thing we have to consider. It's it's tough, and mine lives in Lancaster, which is just outside of Millersville, so it's, uh, you know, it's a, a little over an hour and a half drive, and I do that like once a week now. Um, I mean, when I was at school, it was different because she lived about 20 minutes away from Millersville. So we got to see each other all the time, but even now, like it's doable doing it, you know, once a week, but, um, you know, between the time that I took that job, moved in, which was Labor Day weekend. So it would have been the first weekend in September, let's just say September 5th or September 4th. Um, you know, from then until I got back in mid-March, I had saw her probably a combined 20 days because she did actually come to Peoria, which was really great. But, you know, maybe maybe 20, 21 days. So three weeks over the course of six, seven months. Um, and it's hard, you know, but thank God we, we live in an era where technology is, uh, is paramount and uh, there's lots of ways to FaceTime. And obviously during the pandemic, we're also learning that uh, we can thank technology for this because it's keeping a few people in work with Zoom calls with your uh, employers and obviously being able to work still through a lot of social media. You are my first current SPHL guest, as I alluded to in the opening. I've had Alan Furing and TJ Shalott who have worked in the SPHL, but I live in Connecticut and I've never been to a game. How's the quality of play and how's the travel? It's a good question. Um the quality of play is, I think, better than a lot of people would assume, myself included. Because when I did take the job, I, you know, and I, and I talked with my boss, and, and I think there's people, I think even you've discussed this with with uh, some of your guests, uh, obviously Alan, who was with the Rivermen, and uh, TJ with Mississippi River Kings. There's, I, I feel like sometimes certain people have a stigma that they put toward single-A hockey uh, or the SPHL, whether that's because it's unaffiliated or because there's only 10 teams, I'm really not sure. Um, yeah, there is more fighting in the SPHL um, than you would probably see at some of the affiliated levels. Um, of course, because it is single-A, the level of play, the crispness uh, of the game, if you will, isn't as high as ECHL or higher. But the quality of play is very good. And there are players that, uh, you know, in my first year alone, you have a lot of NAHL alumni, you have a lot of D3 NCAA uh, players, you have a few D1 players, you have guys that um, have hockey lineage in their blood. I mean, at one point this year, we had Jeremy Brodeur as one of our goalies. If you hear that last name, I, I can only imagine you know who he's related to. So. <laughs> Um, you know, we had, uh, we had Nicholas Cronwall's nephew in the league. Um, we had, uh, Matthew Barnaby Jr. 
And it's actually a really cool story because Matthew Barnaby Jr. was playing for the Evansville Thunderbolts while Jeremy Brodeur was playing for the Peoria Rivermen. And 20 years earlier, Matthew Barnaby Sr. got Martin Brodeur infected. And I'm pretty confident right now, I don't have, I don't have my game notes in front of me, but I believe Martin Brodeur had one NHL ejection his entire life. And that was the one. And now 20 years later in the SPHL, the sons of those two players are playing against each other. And Matthew Barnaby happened to score on Jeremy Brodeur. But uh, it's just, you know, so there are cool moments like that. Um, I think the play is good. Like I said, there's a lot of fighting, but I mean, these, these players are passionate. They care. And it's for the love of the game at this level, because, um, you know, you so often hear that the broadcasting industry is not the most lucrative business. Um, you're not going into it to get rich. You're going into it because you love it. It's the same thing for the players at this level. No SPHL player has a seven-figure deal. No SPHL player has even close to a six-figure deal. Um, these guys do it on you know weekly checks at the travel, like you asked about. Um, the travel's gotten better uh, as time's gone on. I've been fortunate that I came into the league at a time where the Rivermen had two relatively regional uh, opponents, Evansville, Indiana, with the Thunderbolts, which is about a five-hour bus ride, uh, and the Quad City Storm, which is great. That's our top rival um, in Moline, Illinois. It's about an hour 15 bus ride. We play them like well, it was a 56-game season this past season, albeit we didn't finish. Uh, but of the 56 scheduled games, we were scheduled to play them 14 times. Um, and, and that's a really convenient ride. Uh, you get a sleeper bus for uh, the rest of the rides, um, The uh, which honestly are not that bad. I mean, some people hate them, but I, I guess I'm lucky I can get sleep on them. Um, but, you know, everybody's got a bunk. And if you're going to, you know, Macon, Georgia, that's 12 hours. If you're going to uh, – we didn't go to Pensacola, Florida. That's the one team we did not travel to. Um, that would be a, a, the longest one, I believe. The second longest, which we did travel to – uh, I was very, very unfortunate that we traveled to because we didn't even get to play them, and that was the Fayetteville Marksman. That was a 15-hour bus ride. Um, so that one's tough because, I mean, you're getting on that bus, and usually any sleeper bus, you're getting on at 10, 11, midnight at night. So, you know, you hang out with the guys for a little bit. You, you know, talk a little, and a couple hours pass, and everybody's tired, and then you're laying down, and by the time you wake up the next morning, hopefully you're just – Within maybe a couple hours, you go stop and get breakfast, maybe another two hours, and, and you're at the rink ready for, uh, for a practice. Um, Fayetteville was really unfortunate, though, because it was a 15-hour bus ride, and we have satellite on our bus, so we're watching TV. Two hours into that ride uh, in mid-March, uh, we see on TV that Rudy Gobert has tested positive for coronavirus. And I think there was a bit, you know, everybody wants to stay focused because at the time the Rivermen and Marksmen were the two top teams in the SPHL and they were tied in points. So first place for the season is probably on the line with 10 games left in each team's season and three of them against one another in this upcoming weekend. So two hours into this 15 hour ride, we find out an NBA player test positive and the NBA is pausing and you kind of get this eerie feeling like, ah. You know, things are things are serious. Things are going to stop. And we all go to sleep in the bus the next morning. The NHL is pausing. 
And we get to the rink in Fayetteville for practice because we arrive on a Thursday. We're getting ready to play Friday. And everybody gets on the ice. And, you know, guys were trying to take it serious. And, and they were. But I think it was in the back of everybody's mind that we really didn't know. And after that practice, we sat in the hotel. And one by one, every league made their announcement until we did at about 7 o'clock that night. And so we were not playing that weekend. And the very next morning, bright and early, we got right back on that bus for another 15 hours. Tell me about broadcasting box lacrosse. And to those who are unfamiliar, explain what the sport is. I've done a fair amount of field lacrosse at the college level. I know on the other side of Connecticut, there is an NLL team. But box lacrosse seems closer to hockey on land than any other sport. It definitely is. Um, and I'll be honest with you, too, uh, up front. You know, I'm probably not the best person that can, that can give you this, this description because I was flying on autopilot in a way. Um, the whole reason that the Philadelphia Wings thing even came about was because uh, the Flyers director of broadcast services, Brian Smith, he would have filled in for that game. But uh, Claude Giroux with the Flyers was going to the All-Star game in San Jose the weekend that they happened to need a fill-in. And uh, you have to have a team representative with the NHL player during that weekend. So um, our, our broadcast services guy uh, was going with Giroux. So that left an opening, and he asked me, hey, have you ever done lacrosse? I said, no, uh, but I'd love to try because this is a TV broadcast opportunity in Philadelphia, which is you know my dream city uh, to live in. And um, so uh, fortunately, I was told about this like two, two and a half weeks in advance. They had a home game. The Philadelphia Wings had a home game prior to that. So I was able to sit there, kind of do a demo, and they wanted a demo from me to make sure that I was – like competent that I could that I could do the broadcast and and fortunately whatever they heard in that was good enough. Um, but as I was watching that game and I was watching YouTube videos and reading some stuff online uh, about the game, I saw exactly what you're just saying. You know, the box lacrosse is so similar. You're playing in the same dimensions. There's glass just like there would be for hockey. There's a couple of different things. I mean, crease violations are. Are, uh, are an interesting rule because the crease extends both uh, in front and behind the lacrosse goal. And you could have a player standing like just a foot on the line of a crease behind the goal. And he could just be standing there while the ball is thrown into the net by another player or shot into the net by another player, I should say. Uh, and that goal is waved off for a crease violation. Even if the guy behind the net really did nothing to like impede uh, the goaltender to, to be able to make that save. Um, you know, you have two-minute penalties, you have five-minute majors for things like slashing, um, you know, there is cross-checking, um, you know, so those are, those are kind of the ins and outs, but it is a very similar game uh, to ice hockey. Now, when it comes to outdoor lacrosse, I'm totally lost on that. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, like I said, I sort of, in the midst of getting that Philadelphia Wings opportunity, which at first was a fill-in, and then something happened where the previous broadcaster uh, prior to me, the one I was filling in for, uh, he ended up being in a situation where he wasn't able to uh, to finish out the season with them, which was unexpected. And they came back to me and they said, hey, you know, we have six games left. Uh, we'd like you to do them. And I was thrilled. I was, you know, really excited to do it. And, uh, and so I did uh, with the Wings. It was all the home games. And then there was one away game we did against that team you're talking about, that NLL team, the New England Black Wolves. Um, 
And uh, that, that away game was actually done remotely. So I, I had my first, my one and only studio call of a game, which obviously you're seeing is uh, pretty relevant nowadays with the NHL and the NBA and, and even MLB, um, where broadcasters aren't traveling and they're calling games off the monitor. It's very hard to do. Um, I was able to survive it. Um, but uh, yeah, no, the game is similar. Um, and, and it's awesome, too. I mean, you know, in Philadelphia, calling that game, I mean, I again, you know, to put it in, into perspective, and maybe I was making it a bigger deal than it was, but, you know, it, it's all sentimental, right? I mean, everybody values things differently. And in my head, I grew up a Philadelphia sports fan. I grew into it a little later, um, you know, in my, in my teenage years. My family, they were all Philadelphia sports fans. My biggest, my favorite team was the Philadelphia Flyers. And here I am, you know, not only am I working for the Flyers in a part-time role, uh, but here I am now calling Philadelphia Wings Lacrosse in the Wells Fargo Center, the same building the Flyers are in. I'm calling the games in the same booth that Jim Jackson is doing the TV broadcasts for the Flyers. I'm sitting in his chair. Um, there's, I mean, we had, we had games where, you know, I think there was, I want to say the highest attendance we had for a game that I called was almost 14,000. And I'm a few months out of college, man. And I'm calling a lacrosse game, a sport that I never did in college with 14,000 fans in the arena. I mean, it is pure electricity, adrenaline, every kind of word that, that could a substitute for energy it was that and uh and i absolutely loved it that that's a memory i i really do i mentioned earlier i'm not good with memory but that's one i i really hope i get to hold on to for the rest of my life not to get too into semantics here but my favorite thing about box lacrosse that you don't see in field lacrosse is the transition player guys who just come off the bench help their team get from defense to offense then jump back on the bench and Trevor Baptiste did that for the Philadelphia Wings. He's done uh, and uh, in Premier Lacrosse League, the PLL on NBC Sports. He's a phenomenal player and great with faceoffs too. But he's one of those guys transitions. And uh, and you're right. I mean, it really is an interesting position because a guy can, you know, what, what do they say in the NHL? You know, 30, 40 seconds tops for a forward shift. Uh, I mean, for a transition player in the NLL, sometimes it's eight seconds. You know, sometimes it's an eight-second shift. I could talk lacrosse all day, but I'll, I'll get right to the last question. The SPHL is independent of NHL affiliations, so that raises the question. Are you working this year? Well, um, I mean, that's a, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer. I mean, and I think, I think you know, even, you know, if, we're, if you asked an ECHL and an AHL broadcaster that, I, I think – you know, they could say that they would hope that they're going to play. Um, they can say that they think they're going to play, but nobody knows. Um, and, you know, to say that is to be very optimistic, which we all are and we all should be, Jake. Um, obviously, and, you know, even for someone like yourself who's still in college and, and you know, I, I feel for, for all the young broadcasters because we, you know, think about what we talked about earlier. All those experiences I had at Millersville University – well, those kids that are in Millersville right now aren't getting to call games. And there's a lot of kids that want to do that. Um, and that goes for pretty much any college out there across the, across the board here. Um, you know, at this level, there's, uh, you know, there, you can be pragmatic about it. So if you want to be pragmatic about it, here's, here's the bottom line for minor league sports. You have to find a way to make money. 
if you can't make money, you can't operate. Now, you can operate on a loss, and a lot of teams do that. Um, but, you you know, if you can have zero fans, you know, at the minor league level, you know, think about it. In the NHL, you won't see a team wear 12 different jerseys throughout the season. They've got their home, their away, their alternate. If they're in the uh, Winter Classic or Stadium Series, they'll have a special jersey for that. You know, every weekend that you've got a home game in minor league hockey, you're probably trying to get a promotional jersey. I mean, the Rivermen, I think it was probably 13, 14 different promo jerseys we wore. Um, and a couple we didn't get to wear because our season, uh, you know, didn't finish out, obviously, like everybody else. You need to, you know, that has to do with sponsorship revenue. Um, you need to sell tickets to get people to the game. And then those people are buying those jerseys on those post-game auctions or buying merchandise in the store. Um, you know, I, in my position, Jake, it, it's it's really not, uh, you know, all I can do is, is give you an opinion. And, uh, you know, I, I can't be the one to, to strike the gavel down and, and say, yep, we're playing or, or no, we're not. Um but I think at all levels, it's obviously a very scary time right now. We have to hope that there are guidelines put in place and protocols um, that, that we can enact, uh, but within financial reason, like testing, for example, it's not going to be free, right? So you need to find a way that, okay, in the SPHL, uh, just you know, because I am an SP guy, uh, you know, for example, okay, you take 10 teams, a couple in Illinois, uh, a lot of them down in the South, one in Virginia, one in Tennessee, one in Indiana. Okay, well, what are the guidelines state to state? So in Illinois, for example, right now, we can have no fans. But maybe in Pensacola, where the ice flyers are, and I, I don't know this, I'm, I'm just throwing out numbers just to give you hypotheticals, maybe Pensacola can operate at 20% capacity. Well, you'd have to ask the ice flyers, can they operate on 20% capacity? Can they uh, generate revenue or afford to take X amount of dollars in loss at 20% capacity? And I don't know the answer to that. Some teams might be able to because there are some teams that, you know, might say, okay, well, if we have a, if we have a 15,000 seat arena, you know, 20,000, that's still going to give us a, a decent amount of fans. Sure, we can we can operate on that. But then if you're the Rivermen, are you going to want to do that? Because at the end of the day, when you're going to that team's building, that is that team's revenue. And when they're coming to you and you can't have fans, well, you're making no revenue. And you're losing money for player salary, front office staff salary. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of three people left in our front office. Um, you know, there's, uh, again, you know, you go back to, to, you know, that being one thing, that's just guidelines. And then you look at testing. Okay. Well, how much does it cost to test and how often do you have to test? Um, and another reality at this level, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams have guys with roommates um, and you've got, you know, maybe two players uh, living together. I, I think for the Rivermen, that's usually our setup. You have two players living together and then there's a, a guest room. If you, you know, have to bring a guy in on the fly or, or maybe a college kid signs an ATO uh, and he's there for a week, but okay. What happens if two players are living together and one player tests positive? Uh, 
do both players need to self-quarantine? And then on top of that, if they do, they can't stay in that same place together, right? So now we have to find another apartment or get a hotel room and pay another 14 or 17 or 20 days, whatever the, the protocol is, uh, you know, 20 nights worth of hotel rooms for one player uh, in self-quarantine until he's good to go. There's so many factors right now that, you know, you mentioned our last question, you could talk about the cross all day. You know, we could talk about this all day and we could talk about COVID and the protocols and the things we have to worry about. Um, but, you know, I think at the end, uh, at the end of it all, I go back to what I said at the beginning of this uh, podcast and it's, we have to be thankful, happy for what we do have. I'm happy and thankful that I get to be near my family um, I'm happy and thankful that I get to spend time at home. I'm ready and I'm excited to get back to work. I cannot wait to call games again. Um, it's so fun doing that, obviously. Every broadcaster you've had on loves what they do here. Um, but it's out of my control. And it's out of my team's control. And it's out of our league's control. And that's the case for pretty much everybody. We have to continue social distancing. We have to continue. You know, I wear a mask everywhere I go. Um, just in the hopes that, you know, the spread stops. And once those numbers go down, I mean, praying for a good fall. I know there's a lot of reports out there that fall and winter are going to be rough times. But, I mean, if we can get through this with minimal damage, in my opinion, that just means that hopefully we're all back in broadcast booths uh, sooner or later. All right, Andrew, I'm sorry to get you off on that negative note, but I wanted to uh, ask that question because I wasn't sure about the SPHL. Um, I've... Look at it this way. Don't, don't end it on a negative note, Jake, because look, look at it this way again, being optimistic and, and it's going to come back. You know, I mean, just end it like this. It's going to come back. Right. I mean, we're, we're going to be all right. It's a tough time right now, but the hockey community is strong. Um, you know, these teams all want to play. They're all, they're all dying to play. Right. So, it's going to come back. It's going to be probably a little longer than we'd all like. We already know that the SPHL is a, as a target start date of mid to late December. Uh, a lot of these teams are, a lot of these leagues are looking at December as a start date. And I really hope it is that maybe it's not, maybe it's January, maybe it's February, but pro hockey, both at the NHL level, obviously that's already back and the minor league level and all pro sports, they're going to come back. All right. That's better. Andrew, I have taken up over an hour of your time. I need to get to cleaning my room before my girlfriend comes tonight. So I will let you go. Thank you for coming on my longest interview to date. I know that. Have a good day and stay safe. Keep wearing a mask. Hey, you stay safe too, Jake. Thanks so much for the time. I had a blast. That was Andrew Mossbrooks from the SPHL's Peoria Rivermen. Thanks to him for coming on, and I hope he finds a way to stay busy this year and maybe call some games. I really feel for anyone in his situation of having a team decide to sit out a year because the risks are too great, and I get it. It sucks for me knowing that NESCAC canceled their winter sports season as well. I never imagined I'd be out of action for maybe a year or possibly more, and I really, really hate it. That'll do it for episode 37, the longest episode to date of A Shot and a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP. Up next, we will have Jared Schaffron from the South Carolina Stingrays of the ECHL, who start back up again in a couple months. 
That's another long one. Maybe not quite as long as this one, but probably around 50 minutes. I haven't recorded any other interviews yet, but I do have some scheduled. Just trying to get them around my class schedule. See you next time. Take your